I don't want to hear a single noise. guffaw, chortle, laugh. I want only claps. The real comedy. Oh, God. We, I mean, I know we talked about this on the chat, on the fucking Wise Guy channel, but like the rise of claptor is such a real thing and I despise it totally. Did you see the new Sex in the City show? Uh, I watched, it's all about that. I watched mm-hmm. a little bit of it and then heard a lot about it on Wizard Live. Did you get to the point where the the non-binary butch who is uh, uh, courting Miranda uh, does a stand-up comedy act where she talks about, you should be free to be who you are. And like the whole crowd, including Miranda, gets in like a queer rights lather. And it's just very. You mean the cold open? You mean the very first <laughs> opening scene of the yeah. show? Oh yeah, I did God. get to that part. Yeah. <laughs> and what, yeah, and Bobby Lee is there. To, I'm glad Bobby Lee is getting work. You know, he's yeah. had a rough go of it. Well, not really. Yeah, I think we've had it rougher. Yeah, yeah. And I think Griffin actually the hand gesture you just made uh, is a great example I'm because so uh, put your put your hand in the frame again if you don't mind. No, I won't because this is triggering. Okay. Uh, because I recently had to audition for Bud Light <laughs> and they, I got to the callback and and the first thing they do is like, it's the, it's the casting director on the zoom call. And then like, it's like the neon Genesis Evangelion, like seven, like muted video screens of like all the Bud Light executives. And they're like, <laughs> okay, slate your name and then show us your hands. <laughs> and so I was like, uh, <laughs> I was like, hi, I'm uh, Griffin, and uh, these are my hands. Um, it didn't, I got a laugh, but I, folks, I don't, I didn't get it. Oh, Fucking Bud Light guys, man. Well, I feel yeah, like. It's because, it's because, it's because my hands were white, not because they were damaged. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, they're looking for a specific type, but actually, see that, that's the thing is, Griffin, I wasn't talking about your hands to evoke your Bud Light trauma, but rather to discuss the physical trauma of your damaged finger. Um, because you've been gaming through it heroically. Mm-hmm. I have what it's uh, what in game is called the tarnished f- blood finger. Uh, I've been yeah. doing a lot of PvP summons. Oh man, your fingers furled. Your fingers all furled up there. It's furled. Yeah, it's I mean, it's, it's, furled. Li- it's literally furled. Yeah. It's furled yeah. as fuck. Have you tried yeah. jacking so- off with a furled finger? Impossible. Impossible. I just did. Yeah. 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 And it works. For the show. Um, yeah. I just can't believe that you've been playing of all games Elden Ring. That's, with that's one... why I've got nothing left when I do this show. I'm always jerking off before it. Yeah, he's always so about just... to fall asleep. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I just summoned my guys. You refer to your cum as you're summoning. You know, you just summoned yeah. a ghostly white guy, you know, and he's gone. He's gone as soon as you summoned him. Where did he go? Yeah. On the wall. You know. <laughs> Yeah, all, all, of, all, all of my aristocrat specters are on the wall. Yeah, um, it seems like so. Is this is this is this might be outing me, but it seems like a, so much effort to get it on the wall. Um, it that's it, like a okay. biological thing. You have to be near the wall, right? Okay, th- I've discussed this before on our show, but I I I'll discuss it again because it's funny. When I was fifteen, sixteen, first jerking off. You know, I didn't jerk off till late. You know, I didn't jerk off till age 15. But then I got was, it you know, in. I made got up for you know, lost time. I made up for the lost time. You know, the put in the hours. I'm like Dave Steeb, the pitcher. Didn't start pitching <laughs> till his 20s, but, you know, he was the best at it once he got going. That, that's a lesson to anyone listening. If you're over 20, it's over. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, when I was 15 or 16, I had a cum wall. You know, I didn't know what to do with the cum. 
So you put it on a wall. I put it on a wall. There was there was a wall that was very easy to hide. Come on. Because it was on an inset. It was on an alcove. It, it was like a stucco one. Yeah. One of the ones that hurts to <laughs> yeah, touch. Yeah, it was just rubbing cum all over the stucco wall. Nobody <laughs> knew because it dried like stucco. You know, people couldn't tell. Oh, right. Right. Well, it wasn't a stucco wall originally. <laughs> no, no, no. I think, Well, I also think a big part about this is um, there is like, obviously like a spectrum that is like sort of sludgy to shooty. In terms of like <laughs> orgasm, oh, yeah. like Jeez, performance, yeah, yeah. <laughs> these are the Pokemon oh. evolutions. Yes, yeah. yeah. And so, like for people who are on the sludgier spectrum, getting it on the wall is like more of a like a, a hassle. Yeah. If you're on the shooty end of the spectrum, that's just like a question of aim and trajectory. No, you're overthinking. You you're overthinking it because you're thinking of going like coming right on the wall, penis straight to wall. You come in your hand and then you rub it on the wall. You're fleeing oh, it like a monkey. Yeah, yeah okay, exactly. Sure. You're doing that's, the Spider Man. Right, they I call was, it a Spider Man. Right. Yeah. I was yeah. I was sort of trying to cut out the middleman there, but you're right. There are yeah. sort of like other mechanics. I think that's about as good a time as any to say welcome to the Game Boys podcast, a podcast about video games. Uh, I'm Lux and I'm one of your hosts. I'm Griffin, uh, the, another one of your hosts. And, you know, this was about video games already. We talked about that. That's a game that we used that he used to play. And we all did. <laughs> in <a way>. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and, and speaking of uh, he, he, this is the, the, the he of the day or he, they. I'm the he we're not doing now. <laughs> no, I'm not. I can't. I wish. <laughs> but 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 that's getting a lot of traction right now. Uh, just try maybe try it on. I'll try it uh, on. I'll try it have, on. We have incredible artist uh Alex Hood back on the podcast. Oh, Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm glad to be here. It is very I cool. really only know you by your Twitter handle, to be honest with you. That's that's your real name to me. House of Decline, yeah. Twitter.com slash house of decline. Yes. It's thank you for plugging. House. Yeah, we've been doing penis comics lately. They're so good. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, there's one when that you, I... When you say we, there's a whole writing team behind these penis comics? It's, it's like, it's the Onion editorial staff, you know, where yeah. it's just a bunch of, it's just a bunch of fat Chicago nerds uh, <laughs> in a room together eating pizza, and we're just pitching each other, making each other laugh, jacking each other off, you know, it's a... It's a <laughs> It's a real, it's a real lightning in a bottle we got here. It feels like, <laughs> it feels like the 1975 Saturday Night Lie, and I'm like Michael O'Donohue, and I carry a knife everywhere, and I have hard yeah. opinions about things. You know, I and that's back when they didn't even do comedy; they just did like short films. <laughs> yeah, they just did weird short movies. That's so true. I fucking saw an old Saturday Night Live sketch with Garrett Morris and Carol Burnett, and. It was it was almost like this is like a fringe theater thing. This is like something that I see at 2 a.m. at Edinburgh, you know, with a mm, drunk off yeah. my ass with a bunch of uh, like catty gay dudes. You know, I don't understand right. how this was edgy television in the 70s. But, you know, you could uh, do a lot. You could uh, get away with. Or I don't know what I'm saying. You could do anything in the 70s. You could. Fuck yeah, I think you're saying it, it was better back then. <laughs> it was we're, better. Never getting, Absolutely. we're never getting back. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Nostalgia. It has mm-hmm. been it has been pretty cool uh, watching the the House of Decline ship blow up. Especially, I um I've been there's one that really fucking blew my mind recently. The one with the guy on the bridge uh, about to jump off the bridge, and the guy sucks his dick, and he doesn't jump off the bridge. <laughs> yeah, um, I like that one. That one I really love, and I've He's uh, the best in the business guy. Yeah, the best the best in the world. Yeah. What he does, and yeah. <laughs> uh, someone was talking to me about wrestling stuff and they were like mm-hmm. like wrestling is like kind of inherently horny like how do you or how do we we're talking about like in the context of booking like how do we like play with that in a way that makes any sense 
Because, mm-hmm. uh, like, obviously you can be too horny or whatever. And how, how do you play with that? And I was like, the goal is to, like, be horny. If you're going to be horny, you got to be horny but not sexual. And if you're going to be sexual, you have to be sexual but not horny. Yeah. Um, and they were like, I, that doesn't make any sense. And I was like, observe. <laughs> um, and pulled up that comic. And everyone was like, oh. Yeah, yeah. My now. stuff is very um, sexual but not horny. Because it's like these guys yeah. are just, they're blobs. So you can't. You can't really attach that much sexuality to him, you know? It's not like Ben Garrison where I'm fucking rock hard the whole time. Yeah, you start yeah. sweating, you know, you start panting like Tom Cruise in Magnolia. It's <laughs> fucking crazy. Yeah, if you read Ben Garrison in public, you get kicked out of the restaurant. Just like not because of your beliefs, <laughs> but just because it's gross. Oh, um, <laughs> man. Speaking of, speaking of gross, should we just start talking about Elden Ring some more? Oh, I love God. this game. Oh, my God. I'm willing to talk about whatever. Hell yeah, we didn't do a rundown because I thought I was going to have to go to a work meeting. So the 10 minutes before the podcast, we're usually the rundown where me trying to figure out if I had to be at the meeting. Um, Wait, pause, pause. We forgot to introduce one very important person. And that is, of course, uh, our Supreme Court Justice, Haley, producer of the Game Boys podcast. Uh, thank you, Haley. Hell yeah. For your, your Actually, it was really work. good that we gave her that pause. We didn't introduce her like right on the tail end of the whole starting conversation mm-hmm. um, yeah it was good to give some space she deserves that dignity um yeah no one uh, wants we, to no one wants to lead out of come you know no one wants to come right after come you know exactly uh so we gave that space that was an, a gesture of of generosity and kindness um but yeah alex you've been playing elden ring i've been playing oh, yeah. elden ring griffin despite his injury has been playing elden ring a thing which continues to boggle my mind because that I, game is I, so quick I, I figured out how to do it with one hand and yes i am talking about elden ring uh, it's, it's my play style only requires R2. Mm. So I, I basically, I can use my thumb to move the left stick and that's, and I got it. That's, that's all you need. I mean, but that's, what's so beautiful about this game is it's the, and pretty, I mean, a common theme throughout all the Soulsborne game is games is how customizable your character is and how, how many ways there is to play and beat the game. Cause it really makes you feel like you're, because, you know, in the past, in RPGs like Fable, there were like systems where you could choose to be good or evil, but the options were actually very limited. But this really feels like you have an expansive uh, model to create your very own character and set your very own limits on morality. Yeah. What What are the problems is like in the other Dark Souls is like, oh, there's all these other cool classes, but like the weapon to make that class even slightly viable is like. 15 hours in and you you will miss it unless yeah. you look it up. But like in, in this game, like you can start out pretty much like with magic or anything. You will find some cool weapons pretty early on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing and another thing with this game like, that with like that is that, yeah, there's a lot more viable options. Like there's a lot of options in other Dark Souls games and in Bloodborne or whatever, but it's like way more viable to do anything in this game. Plus, I think what you're getting at, Alex, like, and we even push a step further that like the way you develop your character is much more of a reflection of you in this game than it is in other mm-hmm. games. I think we've talked about this a little bit before, but just like the degree of difficulty in this game means that like maybe I want to play a big two handed strength guy, but I'm not good at that way of playing the game like that. Mm-hmm. The technical and mechanical elements of that elude me. So I'm playing a magic guy, not because like I love magic, but because like that's the only way for like me to connect into the game directly. So the character feels like a much more realistic representation of me because it's like playing off of what I physically and mentally am capable of doing. Uh, and uh, even through the design itself, it encourages you to use different play styles. So the Margit battle. Have you guys all fit, fought and oh beat yeah. Margit yet? Oh, my God. Oh so yeah. 
What an amazing fight. What an amazing fight. Because uh, one, I love the idea, first of all, an open world game that funnels you geographically into linear sections creating linear sections within an open world experience is such a cool idea because it breaks up sort of the monotony sometimes of open world gameplay where you don't know what to do and you don't know where to go. So having sections of the game where there are very clear objectives to go through, I think is just a genius idea. And Margit too is like you fight him Malay style. If you're playing a Malay character, you fight him that style first and you just get your ass handed to you over and over again. And then you figure like, oh, fuck it. What else will work? And then you try ranged combat and you're like, oh, this works on this guy. Oh, my God. So the game encourages you to, you know, develop other stats because it it uh, makes certain enemies more vulnerable to them in a way that is you naturally discover through the gameplay. Yeah, and in that vein, have you um have you gotten to the part where you're able to respec at all? No, no. You can oh. respec? Oh my god, I don't Oh my god. Ev- eventually that becomes possible. Um and that is that really changed the game for me because I'd go back to sections where I was like, I don't know about this, and I would try it with like I'd like do my regular thing and I'd like clear it or whatever. And I'm like, I wonder if I could do this section with a big sword. So I just go back and respec for magic to sword just to like try it out. Give it, mm-hmm. Like now I'm all in on magic. I fucking love my magic guy. I like mm-hmm. went into it. But now I can sort of like like dip my toe into being a big sword boy or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which that's, is exciting. that's good. That, that's good. That was good for me because I actually wanted to like take away health points for myself and put more into strength um, because my play style is what, getting killed in one hit, but like hitting bosses for half their health. Mm-hmm. Glass so cannon. It's kind of. It's it's pretty it's pretty great. Um, it makes you have to actually like know the boss, like you're like it's like he's one of your best friends, but it's worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, it also replicates this thing from the first Dark Souls uh, and throughout the entire series, where it has this impossibly daunting or difficult enemy right at the beginning. In the first Souls game, it's the Asylum Demon, um, and in this game, it's the Tree Guardian. And I love that the game instantly teaches you. It funnels you through the path right into the path of the tree guardian right at the beginning. And he instantly kills you. And the game teaches you, oh, I'm going to I'm going to die a lot. I'm going to. And there are enemies that are just much stronger than me just wandering around and there's nothing I can do about it. And so uh, the, the game instantly teaches you that running away is what you'll be doing a lot of. And I think and that's I learned great. a different lesson from that moment, mm-hmm. which was that I was going to stay there for eight hours and beat that boss. <laughs> and I did it. <laughs> and you get, you get, I mean, he, I'm still using the golden halberd. I love that weapon. I'm, I'm Kelvin yeah. the confessor because we watched oh. righteous gemstones right around the same time. Me and Steven, Steven's key nice. from Kelvin. And, you know, I got a strength faith guy going on. Because, you know, oh, that's cool. I yeah. like that. What are what what is faith like in this game? Uh, faith is good. It's like it sort of takes the place of where pyromancy was in the previous Souls games. You get a lot of fire spells. You know, that's that okay. seems to be as opposed to glintstone uh, where you get the magic stuff. Are you a glintstone guy? Are you a glintstone guy? Luxury Griffin? I'm a gravity guy, baby. You're a gravity guy. Cause you got so you're all you're fully K litted up now. Uh, yeah, I got the grav. I got the meteorite staff. I got rock sling and I've been running around. I also did. I have gotten like the top end glimstone spells and have a glimstone like mode that I can switch into when needed. But my main mode is fucking, uh, rock sling in the left hand, Wolverine claws in the right hand, baby. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, a true yeah, Clancy yeah. is a nasty little psychopath. 
It's, and it's fun to co-op with Lux because he's like a we- little weirdo with a claw just kind of like scrounging around. And I'm just like slowly like walking around with this giant sword and I'm only jumping and R2-ing. That's all I'm <laughs> That's all doing. That's yeah. uh, And I am pretty much stagger almost any enemy in the game in like three or four jump R2s. Yeah. It combos um, well because Roxling is one of the few spells that can also stagger enemies, which is sort of its yeah. secret benefit. Mm -hmm. uh so like okay you've got a faith build that's very cool um like what do you what do you think about the story have you have you got i I just waste so much fucking time in this game that's what's almost annoying about it for me like i want to beat the game see all the end stuff but i'm I'm just i end up last night i played for four or five hours and i barely got anything done (laughs) yeah well, the other thing, the thing about the story is it's a lot looser than the other Souls games. I mean, there definitely is a story and there's something to be had. But the thing, I think no other Soulsborne game is going to beat the first Dark Souls in terms of what that game is, is more than anything is a triumph of theming. And the theme is, of course, about decay. And um, everything in the first Dark Souls goes towards that theme of decay. And you know, the first Dark Souls is a very flawed game. Obviously, the the second half of the game has like the whole bed of chaos shit, you know, but the DLC oh makes God. up for it. Um, but I think even in those shitty levels, it still is about that hitting you over the head with that theme of decay. Whereas um, the other Soulsborne games since have had less of that consistent, uh, very strong sense of identity. And because they have more or less been iterating on the theme of the first Dark Souls. Um, I mean, where it was different, Bloodborne and Sekiro were different. They didn't have themes of decay because they were in different settings. But Elden Ring is you're very you're in a ruined medieval setting and you're at the end of an empire. So it's definitely feels like it's uh, iterating on the ideas brought by the, the Dark Souls series. I would say the theme of Sekiro is like bad uncle. And then like <laughs> the the theme of like Bloodborne is like, um, I don't know, like uh, just kind of like uh, Halloween is cool. Yeah. Like, body I don't know, horror. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's a, body, it's a bodies game for sure. Yeah. The, it's about bodies and spaces. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's very, very much about that. Well, what I think is interesting is Dark Souls takes place like after an apocalyptic event has occurred, like you're in the ruined world and Bloodborne takes place during the apocalyptic event, which is why I think it has a different yeah. vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Now, Elden Ring's interesting because Elden Ring uh, teaser uh, for the upcoming Wisecrack video on Elden Ring. We're going to talk a lot about Derrida, um, but Derrida mm-hmm. talks about. Uh, time time being out of joint um, in his discussions of hauntology inspectors of Marx uh, and Elden Ring is very much that like it does it's unclear to me if the collapse everything happened like 200 years ago or 20 minutes ago and mm-hmm. it doesn't super matter um, and I find that to be a really fascinating thing about the game because the game does seem to really be about this like you're in this space that is defined by both the the past and all the things that it used to be that are now gone and the present and the futures that that past implied that are all also gone. And you're just in this sort of, again, to go back to our pre-show conversation, like in this liminal space where like you're not it's it's the present, but it's the present not in a way that is like active. It's like the present as like a stop as like an airport, like mm-hmm. this place between this like past and whatever the future looks like. Like the present has no real thing going on. Nothing's ha- like to the point where fucking the stars are stuck in place. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, 
Um, and that actually gets to like what I love about the story so far. Cause last time we talked about this, I was not as deep in the game, What I love about the story now that I'm like way clo- I'm like closing in on the end of it is that like, it's, it is figurable, but you have to like do detective work. Yeah. Um, like, and it's gotten to the point where like, I was on a call with my friend Brian playing this game and I finished a quest that cracked this element of the story and like vocally lost my mind. I was like, oh, I figured it out. It all makes sense. It's like fucking Charlie, like fucking Charlie day with the fucking red threads on the fucking corkboard. I was like, yeah, it yeah. all makes sense. It all adds up now. And those moments are really cool. And it's a very rare form of storytelling that like gives you several of those throughout that you can get yeah. to if you want. And like to execute that is like very impressive to me um, yeah. and very exciting. Cause I'm always like, Ooh, when's the next time that I'm going to like, figure out what a radigan is mm-hmm. yeah it has two positives one is just like and the inherent like game design value of like not feeding everything to the player but then on the almost like youtube content mill self like inherent advertising side like there's just so much extra youtube content about your game if you don't spoon feed it to people Mm -hmm. and that in itself is more conversation and prolongs the length and longevity of your game yeah but it's also like a form of storytelling that can only be accomplished in a video game this sort of piecemeal storytelling where you have to go to different locations within the game in order to pick everything together it's um and how like the story is also told just through the visuals alone, through through Ludo narrative. Like you meet the jar guy once you go to Jarberg, you don't know what happened here, but something happened here and you can figure it out from from the environs. Um, speaking of the jars, I want to say that this is probably the funniest of this, like the most yeah. intentionally humorous of the souls Soulsborne series. And I think that that must be Germ's influence, right? That must be his thing. You know, turtle Pope seems like a, a George RR R. Martin idea in, in so my mind. My understanding of the George RR Martin involvement here, and this is sort of like a mixed answer to the question is that he wrote the like world, like the basics of the world, like pre breaking of the Elden ring. Mm-hmm. And then once they broke it, like Miyazaki and co took over. Okay. So things okay. like the so things like the turtle pope and the jars presumably existed in the world before the Elden Ring broke and probably were George R. R. Martin editions. Mm-hmm. But like the sort of nastified form that they've taken or like sort of fallen form they've taken is like it's the like from the, software guys. It's like from dust till dawn in a video game. Mm-hmm. You know, when yeah. they like switch riders halfway through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that's that's actually very apt because like you go from li- going from Limgrave to Kaled, you know, it's like. <laughs> yeah. Also, I love that the jars, if you read the item descriptions and, and talk to them and, and read some stuff about them, it is implied that the jars go out to battlefields and just fill themselves up with dead people parts yeah, and sort of feed I, on that for a while and then go away and then come back out and eat some more guys. And it's like they're cute and funny and sort of whimsical and silly. And then, of course, cause it's like a From Software game. They're like these cute little jars that you could imagine having is like a Funko Pop. They're full of human guts. Yeah, it's chewing ah, up guys ah, in that well, because the first one you meet when you I the reason why I like them so much is because the first one you meet is named Alexander. So I was instantly yeah. like, he's named like my name. I love this jar guy. He's so cute. He's the Iron Fist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love him. So, he's so good. He come, he comes back later in a great way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you guys have obviously seen, seen Big Jar, right? Big Jar. I haven't uh, seen Big yeah. Jar yet. Is there a Big Jar? There is there's uh, a god like jar. <laughs> yeah, uh, of course. Uh, of course. And it's, it's a very great area. Um, that yeah, is like, like that it's actually, funny. I agree. 
And I think one thing, sorry, just to follow up on Big Jar, I do like that in this game, it does feel like anytime you meet anything, you will also meet the big version of it later. Can we talk about fucking CO for a river? Can we talk about how fucking beautiful that level is and that level alone fucking makes the yeah. entire game for me? CO for a river, honestly, if I'm being honest with you, yes, it's beautiful. Yes, it's magical. But boy, did it come in the wrong time of my life because... Oh boy, I I journeyed to see. I found Siofra way early on. Mm-hmm. I like saw Kalid. I ran around Kalid. Everything was killing me. Then I found this well. Mm-hmm. I went down it, and it showed me that there was a whole other underground map. Mm-hmm. And that, that's when I was just like, it's too much. It's, it's a just big game. too big. It's a huge fucking it's just game. Too big. It's too goddamn because I was still big. in the. I was in the past mentality of literally charting every hallway in my brain Mm -hmm. like I do with normal Dark Souls games Mm -hmm. because that's what you're supposed to do. And like the map is supposed to sort of start to like ingrain itself in your mind intuitively and sort of like a Groundhog's Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of that is lost in this game. Absolutely. Almost to a point where I would say that's something I miss. Um, and, and you know, all those other games exist, so I can go back and play those again, mm-hmm. but my brain was still trying to have that Groundhog's Day memory thing happen and Seofer just broke me. Yeah. It shattered me. I, mean, I was like, I'll never fucking remember this. That's like generally true, but I do think that the game does like, like Stormvale Castle or like, like the capital, whatever it's called, um, places like that do give, do do the same. Like you got to map it out in your head, mm-hmm. like time out the hallways and stuff like those places do exist in Elden Ring. It just can't be everywhere. Yeah, and I kind of like agree. that. It gives you like that switchy back and forth that like you can be like, all right, I'm in like mapping out some hallways mode today. I'm going to go fucking clear out a weird castle. Or you can be like, oh, I just want to ride my horse around a big swamp full of blood. So I'm just going to go check out Caleb for a little bit. Yeah. And like you have that range of options. I think that's a kind of cool way to to do it yeah but man fucking it's the ancestor spirit that's what really gets me is like did you do the whole co request and fight the ancestor spirit at the end i did uh oh my god if you haven't done it griffin you have to it's like it's the most beautiful boss fight the most beautiful boss fight maybe in the whole soulsborne franchise it reminds me very much of sif from the first game where they've created a boss that you are reluctant to kill which is an amazing thing. Like if Hidetaki Miyazaki's whole thing is I want the player to experience pain, he does that in such an exquisite way with this boss by just showing you something ancient and beautiful and something that you shouldn't be fucking with. But you do anyway because you need the drops. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is it's- true. I was playing it with with some friends and we went in and we were all like, Oh, like this feels like wrong. Like, wait, yeah. should we just like let it kill us and like lose the runes, just never come back here again? Yeah. And then someone was like, "No, I need those runes to level up. We have to kill this thing right now." And it was like, all right, <laughs> yeah. here we go. I guess. Yeah. It is a toddler in a cradle. Yeah. Yeah. No, it actually it is just they somehow they get a they using they use your PlayStation login to find a picture of you as a kid, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they just like put it. They just like hang that up on the wall. And they give it like a lot yeah. of HP and it bleeds. Um, yeah. And takes, so it takes a, it long time. a lot of HP. Yeah. It's a lot of HP. It's a long time. And it, you, you can't, even if you stop, like it, you're just stuck there. It, it's a bullet sponge, but they do give you a gun. Yeah, they do give you a gun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Limited gun. Just one mode. One moment you get a gun. Get your Glintstone cool. gun. Yeah. I would love is there, it. Is there, is there, is there actual guns in the game? 
Well, I feel I mean, like magic are the guns of Dark Souls. You know, they projectile yeah. weapons. You know, I got a hand ballista, which is like a, basically a gun. I've never yeah. used it, but it seems cool. A, a crossbow is a gun. I think we can, we can effectively say a crossbow. <laughs> yeah. Are you saying you don't want to like just blast at General Radon? I I got so you guys fought Radon. I haven't I fought, fought Radon I yet. Have, I have I have fought Radon. Oh my goodness! I got owned so many times by his like fireball <laughs> attack to the point where it was very trolly. Yeah, I got owned by like he shoots a spear at you when you first show up, and he shoots more spears mm-hmm. at you until you like get no, to the second part so- of the fight where you like reach him. I hate that. Um, and it aced me on so many times, and I kept being like. I can take one and make it if I like have my armor up and it was like, nope, you can't like you're just going to fuck it to probably I, I think I tried like six times before I actually hit him. Um, mm-hmm. But then the first time that I hit him, I, uh, the first fight where I actually made it to him, I beat that ass. <laughs> I will say, I, I want to go back on something I said, how like I like the bosses weren't as memorable for me. Like I said that the first I think reaction, I'm starting to like love some of these bosses more than other Dark Souls games for sure. Or at least remember their names more. Yeah. Like I'm always gonna remember my man Radon. Yeah. Um or Michaela or Ronnie. And you know what? A lot of this is probably because we just had to make a video about it, but uh but also, yeah, like, I don't know. I feel something... like it's it's like sticky in my brain for some reason. Yeah, well I think that there's something to like the way that the lore is so sparse but so interesting that you're like digging up these mysteries and you're intrigued by it. So like the big demigod characters who feature in the lore, like Michaela, Radon, Ronnie, whatever, um, they do, do really stick out. And the game does a really good job characterizing them. One thing about, um, well, Alex, do you mind a small Radon spoiler? I don't, uh, yeah, I don't care about spoilers. Okay, um, great. So he's by <laughs> That's a spoiler. <laughs> um, oh my God. No, one thing about Radon is that that's he's why a huge, he's so annoying. Is because yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can say that because I am. Well, it's, all, it's all purple. But he's, but he's single light on his island. <laughs> but he is single and hasn't hooked up with anyone recently. He they yeah. Radon. He they Radon. Yeah. He's the he they of the day for sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, when you when you roll up on him and you get close enough, you realize that he is a giant, but he is riding a very small, relatively speaking, horse. <laughs> like he's riding a ho- the horse of a normal sized person, but he is a very big person. It's, it's like seeing an adult sit on a tricycle. Yeah, and it's incredible. And then what? if this you game dig is in- funny. Yeah, and if you dig into the lore, what you discover is that Radon became the gravity magic scion specifically because he loved his little horse. But he kept growing and he grew too big for the horse. So he learned how to use gravity magics to change his own body weight so he could never have to leave behind his special horse friend. Adorable. See, that sounds like that sounds like a germ thing to me. That sounds like that's his that's his sense of humor. Totally. Yeah, I I think that's true. I think that's true. But that's right. But it's also so detailed and so specific. Um, And so in the world that it though, that kind of makes these like special these like main primary bosses really stand out. Obviously, Margaret super stands out if only because Margaret Margaret says smoldering with the flame of ambition. Like oh, that, yeah. they, they all get these great lines or details like a lowly tarnish playing uh, also, as a lord. Something that I wanted to discuss. It's very funny how you get to the end of Storm. So it sets up Godric the Grafted as like the biggest enemy in the game in the fir- in the opening cinematic. And then you get to him and he's a mid boss of the game. Like he's like you it's he's a third of the way through the game, basically. 
And he's kind of easy compared to Margit. And I like how the game sets him up as this big bad guy. But similar to the themes of the Dark Souls, he's seen better days. You know, you're fighting him at like not his max power. And to that extent, I was thinking this game is less about decay. But maybe the theme of Elden Ring is about nostalgia, you know? Oh, boy. That's what we said. This yeah. video, baby. <laughs> oh, my God. I predict. I, pred- I see we are we are we are we are on the same wavelength with yeah. this. And it's that's about- what like grafting is. Grafting is literally taking the dead and attaching pieces to you. You know, there is a section of the Wisecrack video that we didn't end up putting in in the original outline that talks about grafting and stitching and all and this theme that runs throughout the game, even down to like the way the map is drawn and shit. Um, uh, and comparing that to Mark Fisher's uh, capitalist realism critique of uh, remixes and the non-culture of the 21st century, um, which we still talk about a bunch. We left out the grafting stuff because it was just getting too long. Um, but like, yeah, exactly. Like that is, I think like the hauntological aspects of the game and the sort of like spooky, scary sadness about the past elements of the game are uh are mm-hmm. so good and so effective and so like detailed and well done that it just makes the whole thing like it's like the most intellectual like I think every Dark Souls or Soulsborne game in general except for maybe Sekiro is like basically just a Mark Fisher book but a video game mm-hmm. but like never more so than Elden Ring. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There was another philosopher I wanted us to quote in the video, but I got shot down, and that was Beyonce's "Haunted." <laughs> uh, that that whole song kind of prophesied Elden Ring. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I wonder if how much she had to do. It's probably twenty percent her, twenty percent George, sixty percent uh, Miyazaki. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a twenty twenty sixty split. Should we take a quick break and then come back and maybe talk about this a little bit more and then do Attack of Titan, a talk of Titan? Yeah. I'll do what I'll do whatever. Uh, right. Not what not whatever, Lux. I have my limits. I didn't ask you to. You're the one who said you'd do whatever. <laughs> that was you said that. I didn't. Okay, this is uh, this is unfair. I'm being slandered. Um, Alex, would you like to do our special guest challenge where you do the ad read? I'll, I'll do the ad read. <laughs> this is going to end up screwing us one day, and I love it. Uh, dude, I, the odds that Anchor fucking <laughs> listens to our ad and gives one shit about it is. Zero, baby. Hell yeah. Amazing. Oh, you know, and now, now we do the part where uh, we rate and compare his performance <laughs> to the previous the previous commercial readers. I, I think I think we have a new champion. Oh, yeah, thank I you. think the, the strict professionalism sort of uh, overcame the hunter just like sort of sounding like an actual insane person. Yeah, <laughs> 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 I think it's correct. Mm. Oh, well, yeah. future guests, the challenge has been set. Yeah, this is a good new bit. Also, it saves us a little bit of time, um, which we love. Uh, all right. Well, welcome back to the show, everyone who's been listening. Uh, well, let's get some final thoughts about this next check in on Elden Ring, uh, which I guess maybe this will be like our last Elden Ring for a minute because like we've talked about it a lot. Maybe we should just come back when we beat it. I mean, we could. We, there's other stuff we could talk about. What do you want to talk? I mean, I want to talk a little bit about Stranger uh, Stranger in pa- of Paradise. Let's just talk about that then. What you, do you any final Elden Ring thoughts? Uh, my only final Elden Ring thought is I'm so happy at the relative ease of this game because it means that it's going to get more people into the Soulsborne franchise. It's going to souls kill sure. a lot of people, and I'm very happy about that. Yeah, and some of I, them, it's going to be totally good for them, and some of them are going to <laughs> go are going to be in total hell, and it's going to suck terribly. Your life will be ruined. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't want to replay Dark Souls three though because that game is very good. 
Um, mm-hmm. So let's talk about Strangers of Paradise. Let's talk. Let's let's yell. Let's shout on the tops of rooftops mm-hmm. about this game. So oh have you God. gotten it and started playing it yet, Griffin? No, because that game does require two hands, whereas Elden Ring I can play with one still. Yeah, I, I've got it. I've played a little bit of it. And I'll say this. I still think the gameplay is chunky and weird, but I don't care. I love yes. it. I love it so much. Yeah. It is just like, it is the, if you could take drinking like shitty beer in the back of like a pickup truck and listening to like, I don't know, system of a down for an hour. Fucking with boys your, night. With fucking, 2002. Yeah, exactly. You feel like boys <laughs> night 2002 and put it in a video game. It's strangers of paradise. And like, I think a big thing, speaking of fucking hauntology, is like my mourning for being, you know, 12 in 2002 and not like 23 when I could really like get drunk and appreciate the terrible music and big pants. Mm -hmm. Um, And like this game lets me like imagine what that was like. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very new. It's funny how Square, since Final Fantasy 15, has devoted a lot of uh, a lot of game time to dudes rocking. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. very it's dudes rock. It's dudes rock and it's new metal. And that's like sort of what America needs right now. <laughs> yeah, I think. I think so. Yeah, I think uh, I think people need to remember how to just be cool to each other in the stupidest way imaginable. And this game is just all that. Um, like I didn't I thought. I said this on the show before. I think I've said this even one or both of you guys privately, but that like the part where he puts the fucking Limp Biscuit on in the commercial. <laughs> yes. I was like, this game, yeah. this game, this game is making a promise that it cannot possibly keep. Like the, the, mm. the claim this game is making is one that could never be lived up to by the actual game. Yeah. I was wrong. The whole yep. game feels like he's about to put Limp Biscuit on his damn iPod in every fucking moment. <laughs> yeah. And in and, and any moment he could. Uh, I wish you could do it as a gameplay move. Yeah, I've not unlocked that game. yet. Yeah. Fucking the summon. The Fred Some Durst yeah. summon. <laughs> yeah. He's the button. It's just like, you know what time it is. Yeah. He's the Bahamut. If you wanna if you wanna summon Ifrit, that's that's John Travolta from the Fanatic. He comes in as moose and spears a bunch of guys. Deeply problematic film. <laughs> what, what a yeah. profound misunderstanding of what that movie should have been trying to do. <laughs> I, I think it's aged like a fine wine that was opened a long time ago. Yeah, it's aged, it's since like what like 2014 <laughs> release or whatever. It's like aged pretty rough. <laughs> um, I think it's more recent than that. I think it came yeah, out like three it. years ago or something like that. But it yeah, feels like it feels like a decade. Yeah, it came out three months ago. Yes. I've actually only seen the trailer. It's not even released yet. It just feels very old. See, this is time uh, collapsing. Want- you know, it's Elden Ring, man. Which what is exactly. time, man? You know, time is out of joint, dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, True Detective said it best. However, they however they said that. Uh, I want to really <laughs> highlight the fact that in Strangers of Paradise, it is produced and the uh, there's uh, by the the. Tetsuya Nomura, mm-hmm. uh, who did Kingdom Hearts. Oh, yeah. Um, as well as many other great games. But it's just like, it feels like everyone is doing 
like a very high level version of like the room kind of <laughs> like and it's like weird sensibilities like cutscenes seem to like purposely have no music or like weird sound effects to them like all the weird trolley parts of jrpgs seem to be like magnified and like in like with like a like a glass into like like tens or elevens of like what they normally are and i don't know there's just something about that that's like very self-aware and fun yeah yeah well, I think Nomura too. I don't. It's not written by Nomura, is it? Uh, it's produced by him. Yeah. Produced and produced, and I think he's one of the lead artists. Because it's funny when know. he writes the games. Because I think he actually wrote a lot of Kingdom Hearts. And dude is a the best, maybe one of the best character designers ever created uh, ever ever in the industry. But he's one of the best character designers. He is not a great writer. Um, although I'm told uh, he wrote a lot of FF7 remake and that's supposed to actually be pretty good. Yeah, we're big fans of that game on the show. Yeah, very big, very big fans of where they decided to take that story. Yeah, yes, because that that I didn't play it, but it's it's uh, it's more than a remake. It's sort of like a reevaluation of the legacy of FF7. Yeah, yeah exactly it's, a re- it's a reevaluation on the idea of remakes in general and also on an artist's responsibility to its fans. Yeah. Um, and that is very interesting. Uh, very good. Um, it's actually but some people hate those ghosts and it's about ghosts, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of nostalgia and ruined worlds out there. I mean, I in no more is the game I played very recently. The game I played before Elden Ring, which is a very funny game to play before Elden Ring is Kingdom Hearts three because I mm. I hadn't played it before. Man, they fucked that series up. And oh, wow, they did. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. and <laughs> the problem and it just comes down to one thing. Combat. The thing about the Kingdom mm-hmm. Hearts games, which was good, was that however stupid the story was, the combat was always super interesting and super cool Satisfying. and super fun to get good at. And and also, it doesn't get enough credit for that style of locking on and like kind of floaty, jumpy, swingy combat mm-hmm. with like quick shortcut moves mm-hmm. has influenced so many games since. And Kingdom Hearts really does not get enough credit for that. Yeah. And Kingdom Hearts 3 just dumbed down Throws the combat. It all just A A A A X. A A I I I looked at the review saying that and I thought it can't be that bad. And it's just that. It's A A A A triangle. It, in King in Kingdom Hearts, when you finally unlock the cure spell, it's a huge deal. Yeah. In Kingdom Hearts 3, you're given like every single spell and ability on level one and then you just never you're never excited about anything yeah no sense of progression i hated kingdom hearts 3 from the minute of the first hercules cutscene. we've talked about it on the show before i played the whole thing because griffin really wanted to talk about it in detail so i did it even though the first the first cutscene made me so mad because it's a video game so poor direction in a video game to me particularly poor composition in the direction of a video game to me is like borders on offensive because it's like you're just putting stuff there like you can put it anywhere um so just put it somewhere that looks nice and during hercules's monologue in the first cutscene, he walks such that from his shoulders down or from his shoulders up rather is cut off at the top of the frame yeah so he talks to you and all you see is his damn tummy yeah. um and that's yeah but that that's purposeful and it's that's, that's sexy. That, okay, well, you know, I can understand. I can understand that as a motivation. I don't His think it works. Symbolize Sora's inner strength. 
it makes <laughs> sense because the next line is, uh, my eyes are up here. <laughs> if that were true, I obviously wouldn't have this problem. <laughs> I meant just Haley Joel Osment in his Sora voice going, damn, Hercules, nice penis. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great penis you have there, Hercules. Gorge. Maybe that would help Sora. us figure out how to put out this big fire. There, um, I know there is darkness in my penis. Don't apologize. That makes more sense than a lot of the, the yeah, plot lines. Certainly better than whatever Project 13 or whatever they're called. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's or, it's an organization. Sorry, <laughs> LLC. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, number 13 LLC. God, what a dumb, stupid game. I, but the thing is, there is a part of me that, I mean, I was trying to make a joke about like, Xehanort being the Brian Singer of video games or like Xehanort sure. goes to the manipulating boys club and Brian Singer, what are you doing here? I invented mm -hmm. the club, you know, because yeah. there is something because Kingdom Hearts and we did it way back on the House of Decline podcast. We talked about Kingdom Hearts. Kingdom Hearts is also a game about nostalgia and about the destructive effects of nostalgia. You are going through all these Disney worlds, knowing that by going through these worlds, you are degrading them. That's like part of the plot of the original game is the worlds must be separated because otherwise they'll be entirely destroyed by the heartless. It's a, it, it's well, it's a case of like almost against the metaverse mm -hmm. because it's like the worlds all got linked so that the heartless could all find all the worlds. Yeah, <laughs> the heartless, these endless consumers more than anything, what they do is consume. And I don't know if Nomura like understood what he was doing in the first game with this with this point, but I think it's like. It's very strongly signaled theming throughout the entire first game. And everybody like the first Kingdom Hearts game is like a masterpiece. Shouldn't fucking work at all. And just yeah. just like every big risk they took pays off, which is St it's sta it's staggering. Yeah. yeah. Incl including the shitty swimming. Oh, yeah. The shitty. Sw but you, it's fun. Once again, a shitty mechanic that it's fun to kind of get good at. You know, you learn to get good at. And once you dumb it down, like in Kingdom Hearts three, you know, there is they're swimming in uh, Kingdom Hearts three. And because it's dumbed down, it's somehow less fun than Atlantica, the least fun level of the first game. Yeah. The one thing I do want to say about Kingdom Hearts three, when it whenever it's mentioned, is there is genuine moments of visual spectacle yes. and splendor that are like jaw dropping like in as, even at the end yeah. there's like this like fight over these like white venetian buildings with like the bad guy and you're just like flying through the air battling him over these rooftops and i was like this is like one of the best things i've ever seen mm -hmm. visually in a game and i just wish i was having fun playing it yeah so i don't uh, give a shit <laughs> but but hold on it's like there is something of artistic value there and, it, and i think it is worth mentioning because it's like oh what if there was a fun game that looked like this so that that's always exciting for the future yeah it that is that is true um and actually the the dumbing down of stuff for for uh king mark three is actually a good way to bring this back around to strangers of paradise before we jump into a quick attack on titan um it which is to say that strangers of paradise does have a pretty convoluted set of systems the whole like catching and computing like attacks from guys and turning that into your attack and like learning how to make moves from the bad guys and all that stuff is annoying and confusing and kind of dumb, but it's the kind of system that's annoying, confusing, kind of dumb, but feels like once I get good at it, I'll be, feel like a fucking God. Yeah. Um, so it does have a little bit of that Nomura magic, that like weird square Enix, like what if we did game design a little bad, but in a way that pays off like games and like, like, like a 2004 type game might. Mm -hmm. um, and 
I, I do respect that, even if it is a little bit clunky. And again, like, I don't care if it's clunky because the aesthetic is just perfect to me. Yeah. Um, in the, yeah. in the you, way that you're basically, you're saying, I love my curvy wife. I love my curvy wife. Trying to say. <laughs> I love my, I love my, curvy, I love my curvy new little wife. It would be funny to describe your curvy wife as clunky. I don't think, I don't think. <laughs> yeah. the game of her, I love my clunky wife. You don't get it. She's just clunking Look, everywhere. Her feet are big cubes, you know, so she's just, yeah. she's, she's always falling down the stairs, making all kinds of noise. Yeah. Um, Sounds like you're, yeah, what are you? You dating your, your computer? What is that? Oh, I thought you were. I'm, I, I'm honestly glad you said your computer because I thought you were just gonna ask if I was dating myself because I feel like my way of being in the world is fairly clunky. <laughs> clunky um, guy. Yeah, I run into stuff quite often. Um, yeah. Well, let's let's wrap this up kind of quickly because I got to uh, do, do some stuff and I got to meet Forrest. But let's, uh, Alex, are you watching Attack on Titan at all? I've finished the manga. I love it. I think it's one of the best ever, despite it being undeniably very fashy. I think uh, oh, interesting because we both agree that it's not fashy, although we have to get to the end of the show. Yeah, we actually we believe it's more of like a, a post left like anime Twitter account. Uh, yeah. OK, so, you no, know, I'm joking. I'm joking. That's not my take. <laughs> I, I, that's funny. It could be. Your thing. Uh, but are you familiar with no. the politics of the author? Like, because that's sort of informs a lot of why I think it's it's probably more fascist in intent than you would necessarily initially think. Yeah, I mean, but does that mean that like, oh, Harry Potter is like a transphobic work? Uh, kind of. <laughs> if you if if you read Harry Potter's uh, not transphobic, it is a little pro slavery oh. and very pro the worst kinds of liberalism. Yeah, yeah, I, I will say that. But, you know, maybe some parts of Chamber of Secrets because it's about bathroom politics. But other than that. I don't think the Harry Potter works are transphobic. Uh, it is homophobic. The character of Fenrir Greyback is homophobic because uh, J.K. Rowling said that werewolfism was her metaphor for HIV and Fenrir Greyback intentionally infects kids with werewolfism. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. That's just her lived, that's her lived experience. Uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> oh, oh, gay men, you know, they're always infecting, you know. <laughs> Yeah. And to be fair, she also, you know, uh, the crime of Grindelwald is trying to stop the Holocaust. And OK, OK, the, here's the biggest crime, guys. Sorry. She said she was poor and homeless and she never was. Yeah. That was a big part of her narrative for a long time. And it's like she had to, like, stay at a friend's house for a couple months yeah. or something. Like she that. stole poor valor. She is stealing yeah. poor valor. Yeah, plus the new, the plot of the new uh, HP game is apparently that there's a goblin rebellion because yeah. they're sick of being slaves and oppressed people and having their wands taken away, and you play as the wizards stopping these oppressed goblins from demanding but their rights. The goblins are also stealing children, so it's goblin blood libel. It's, <laughs> it's wow. It's she really hates Jews. She does not care for the Jews. She does not care for Anthony Goldstein, Ravenclaw. <laughs> Yeah, the one Jew. And then the only other Jewish character in the series also has the last name Goldstein. Goldstein. Uh, She's incredible. Um, But the very quick. (laughs) What if what if there was HUDs with their names on it and it said the Goldsteins over the enemy NPCs? (laughs) She's just pitching stuff in there. She's trying to make it more anti-Semitic. Every time we see a goblin's name in the game, it's got three parentheses around it. It's got it's so it's like an echo. What if all it's, the goblins were complaining about their stomachs all the time? <laughs> okay, well that that is what, true. What though. if John I, Mulaney I, real, divorced his goblin problem. wife after getting tired of her? Uh, it it well 
is is his oh that's why that's, that's why they she, broke that's up. why they broke up yes oh i'm sure i figured that one out it, they, they uh, seemed well, like they were gonna well, make it. <laughs> well that was this week's episode of attack on time no, okay <laughs> uh, really quick because I, I gotta run uh this episode was crazy and action-packed yeah it was it was action-packed um uh we're and also still now, a week behind oh we are yeah because we never covered the one with the airship oh all right you go um, I just like I thought the airship one was very very good. Um, I just thought that it was like, I it was just like it was the perfect like okay we did a real slow episode now it's time to hit everything at a fucking eleven, and have everyone fucking trying to stop these explosives. Mikasa's trying to save people. It's everyone doing the things they're gonna have to do whenever like the final major confrontation happens, and it's a good taste of that team like operating at like eighty percent capacity. But like you kind of know that that step up has to happen for the end. And I'm very excited for that process to play out, I guess, is my take on that episode. Like, it was really fun, but it also was a very amuse-bouche episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and in the context, we're recording this now after the after even more recent episode has come out. And I would say it's very much like the the the, the part one of like a of a two parter and kind of like that's where, where all that stuff takes place in that port. Um, and uh, yeah, it's uh it's a really good sets a lot of stuff up. Uh, I'm a little tired of like Armin going on the hesitation arc. It feels very forced at this point because he's like been on this like hesitation arc for so long. Oh no, and it I, gets and I good it, in the manga. He, he he does some good okay. shit. He does some good shit. I I know that's coming, but it's but but it's just I'm ready. It's, I'm ready. To, I'm ready for that to go. It's time for him to shit or get off the pot for sure. Uh, I, yeah, he has too many is. possibilities and he's just not and him just being like, I, well, I could do. Uh, I don't know. Uh, is infuriating at this point. I think yeah. what I'll say, like having read to the end of the manga, because what it eventually gets at is why is Aaron doing this? And the, the answer that it comes up with is really interesting. And it's a it's a bit of a thinker. And I can't wait for you guys to get to the end of it, because I, I'd love to discuss, you know, whether do you think it is propagating a fasci attitude or whether yeah. it is more oh, okay. ambiguous. So this is sort of a non-spoiler question because I don't know the ending yet, yeah. but it seems to me like in all of these scenes, like especially in from season three and four on, there's so many scenes that seem to be very anti-imperialist and to be really focused on how people aren't different from each other. And it's that these nations and their politics have torn people apart. And I don't see it coming to some resolution about how the strong must defeat like the weak in order to survive. It seems like every character now at the end is rebelling against that theme. And those are the people we're rooting for. Ultimately, the theme of the show is what Mikasa says with the the butterfly eating the larva or something. The world is cruel, but the world is also very beautiful. That is this. That is the theme that you have to keep in mind when watching the show. I think because that sort well, okay. of informs. So that's informs one the of those lines. I feel like my line that is that is the part where Sasha's dad uh talks about the children in the woods and how the what they have to do is get a, a have raise a generation of children who aren't immediately lost in the woods um and pull the children out of the woods and to me that's more of the defining theme is this like clear anti-militarist position um which i know from what i know the author seems very at odds with their politics especially in the context of J- japanese remilitarization mm-hmm. um but like it does seem like that's the juice of the show 
especially in the back end. And I wonder if there's a difference in the show in the manga, it, which I guess yeah. maybe the question is, is this a good reason to do another double crossover episode where Griffin and I come on House of Decline and we talk about Attack on Titan? We should talk about it. Well, well, it's like all it. over. Get yeah, to, for sure. Get Steven to watch the entire series. I think he'd actually like it a lot. I bet I, yeah, I, I, bet I could convince him. I bet I could convince I also want to... I also want to say, too, that, like, I think it's really complicated with any artist, um, like with like their politics and comparing it to their work or whatever. But like, I, I think especially with like people in like Japan who like what, what we've seen, like one article or one interview about something he said and then like one character that like loosely looks like one guy. I, I to me, like, I don't think that's a big enough case to like discredit all of this work that seems to be like arguing the exact opposite of I, fascist tendencies. I don't want to say this for sure, but I'm like 90, I'm, I'm pretty sure I read a blog post that he wrote about why actually it was good for Japan to invade Korea. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I'm pretty author, sure that happened. He stayed away from it as well. He, I think he, after that experience, he learned, you know, this is not helping me. So I, I think he's uh, gone out of his way to not say anything politically motivated. And I also, and I also think that like a big part of Attack on Titan and just in general, I think we should allow people to like have shitty takes and yeah. grow yeah. from it. Even if it and is, it seems very much like I don't think the person that's like arguing the themes of like these like scenes in this finale is anywhere near the same person that made that statement. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I also think even if it is right wing, I think if you do something well, if you execute it well, there's lots of good right wing, specifically films like Conan the Barbarian, the works of John Milius, S. Craig Zoller. God's Not Dead. Bone Tomahawk. Yeah, God's Not Dead. Perfect movie. Uh, (laughs) But I think two, three and four. Yeah, you you can if you do it in such a way that is, you know, artistic and interesting. You can articulate right wing ideas and they don't automatically come off as opprobrious. You don't necessarily agree with them, but you consider them uh, as the author is presenting them. I think that is accurate. I think that's a good place to jump off because I got to go meet Forrest to get a hamburger and then do a thing for uh, our show. So let's call it there, he's, folks. He's got a hamburger appointment. I got a ha- I'm late to a hamburger I'm late you to Americans a hamburger and appointment. your hamburger we, appointments. We, we were about to solve fascism on the show. <laughs> and then guess what? A hamburger appointment. Well, and we know hey. which side of the podcast that came from, folks. So that's all I'll say. <laughs> Yeah, damn, for once I'm on the wrong side of history here. Um, I guess it's, you know, a broken clock is wrong twice a day, um, is what I like to say. Um, but thank you, Alex, so much for coming on. Uh, it's always a pleasure, always a joy. Oh, yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, and then I guess we're not doing our plugs anymore, but Alex, please plug yourself so uh, that people know where they can find more of your amazing stuff. Thank you. Go to twitter.com slash house of decline, spelled H A U S of decline. And in that vein, also go to houseofdecline.com, where we have all of our podcast episodes and comics up for you to view and laugh and masturbate to. I do want to I want to plug that as well. That's I, that's a Twitter. That's one of the last Twitter accounts. I would <laughs> yeah. I'll say that. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with that. Uh, they even have a Patreon if you're so inclined. Oh, yeah. Um, we, I forgot uh, about that. We uh, have a Patreon. It's so new. I forgot. We have a Patreon. Give money. Give us money. Uh, yeah, it worked. It. Give them money. Holy shit, it worked. <laughs> by this uh, time, by the time you're listening to this, it worked. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's true. All <laughs> right, I also want to say the show's been. Uh, okay. The show's been the show's been getting so bad lately and it gets worse every episode. 
and more listeners keep coming. So we're going to keep doing <laughs> that. We're going to keep doing our side. You guys keep doing your side. Yeah, it is weird that we've really been actually. Yeah, we've been on a bit of a messy streak the past couple of weeks, but our listenership has never been higher since the weird period where we had like a thousand a week for a month because Jared Bauer came on twice. <laughs> um, so thank you guys for listening. Uh, we'll put plugs in the description. We're not doing it in the show anymore. So on that note, we'll see you guys later. Goodbye. Bye.